I think like all of us, uh, my influence or understanding, or let's uh, borrow a word from C.S. Lewis, my conception of God. My conception of God was shaped when I was a child, uh, and I think a lot of it was shaped by Santa Claus. I think, I think we have a very similar understanding of God than we do of Santa Claus somewhere deep down in our childhood understanding of who God is. Santa Claus was, he had a list and he's checking it twice. In, in heaven, we have the book of life and you're, hopefully your name's written in it, right? Santa Claus, he, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. We have an all-knowing God who knows your thoughts and is always with you and watching you, <laughs> right? And there's a day of judgment coming because he's coming on Christmas and if you've been naughty or nice, right? And we have an, a judgment day with God. And I think that as a child, that coupled with what we're taught about expressing gratitude and thanks you know, we're always taught that if someone gives you something, you thank them. They're the source of the thing, and so you thank them. And then when you want something from someone, you go to the source, and you ask them for it. And so I think if you put all these things together, we, we have this low-resolution, fuzzy image of God as this God that doesn't really exist. And sometimes we just carry those low resolutions, conceptions of God into our adulthood. And as we mature and we understand and we live in this world, we, we realize that understanding of God doesn't work in the real world. That understanding of the Santa Claus God or what we're going to call him is the vending machine God. That as long as we do our part, God will do his part. As if he's some type of vending machine that as long as we go up and we put in the right currency, he'll dispense the right thing that we're asking for. And what we're going to look at today is just how that type of God doesn't hold up. And that type of God, that foundational understanding of God or that low resolution conception of God can lead to really bad theology and a life of uh, struggle and anxiety where there's no peace. And we want to equip everyone within earshot and the power of a loving God who is more nuanced than the vending machine God. All right, let's pray and we're going to get to it. God, I thank you so much for your word and that, that in the entirety of your word, you tell us a story of who you are. And we see different tribes and different nations and different people and different leaders and, and different families trying to navigate the, the awesomeness that you are and and you show us the warnings of living out a, a, a wrong conception of you. And, and God, that we try to put you in our box so we can have some sense of control. But God, you are so gracious and patient that you endure that. And you reach through that so we can see you and know you. And I pray that you would do that today. That our low resolution conceptions of who you are would be refined. And we would see you as you truly are. And we'd be inspired by your love and your grace today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, what you and I think about God might be, and likely does, shape how we act, what we say, what we do, our sense of peace, our purpose, probably more than anything in the world. And there's, you could look back at human history, there's entire civilizations that have had some conception of God and you have seen their, what they do as a people, what they believe, uh, what shaped by what they assume God is. In the Old Testament, we see dozens of 
gods brought up. And, and human nature, right? I think all throughout time, and I think we even still do this today, anything that goes on in the world that we don't understand or we don't have an explanation for, we ascribe to something supernatural. And, and that, that's where the pantheon of gods have come from Greek times and Roman times. Uh, thousands of years we've ascribed the things that we don't understand to gods. And then as we start to have some understanding, they lose their mystery. They lose their supernatural ascription. We ascribe that. It loses it. Ascription? Is that a word? Good job, Mike. I love it when I make up words that are actually words. All right. Some of them that we see in the, the Old Testament, we see Ashtoreth, the Canaanite goddess of fertility and maternity. We see Baal, the supreme Canaanite god of the god, similar to the god of the sun and storms, a fertility god who empowered crops to flourish. And the way this, these gods, these two gods were appeased, one of them was through child sacrifice, human sacrifice. The more innocent, the more righteous or more holy was the sacrifice, was the, the belief. Uh, we have Chemish of the Moabites and Ammonites, a cruel god. Uh, we have Dagon, the god of the Philistines, the god of water and grain. Uh, he had a human head, a fish body, and human hands. We had Marduk, Babylonian god of fertility and vegetation, over 50 names and worshipped by the Assyrians and the Persians. So we see this in human history, this, this ascription of a deity that doesn't exist other than in the discourse of a culture. So some form of the belief in it exists and that shapes society and what you do and what you value. It shapes what your laws are. It shapes, uh, you know, in order to serve a God where human sacrifice is part of sacrifice and worship of that God, you have to have laws around your society that make that not illegal. Like it completely shapes a culture and a society and the idea was these gods exist. Mankind is just in the, we're part of, this is the God's world and we're just here. And our job is to appease the gods and hopefully good things will happen if we sacrifice the right things to the right gods at the right time. And if there was ever any war or, or not war, but like uh, acts of God, like a tornado or a flood, they would call that a conflict among the gods and we just have to get out of the way. Yeah, it's just the, and I would say, like, our understanding of God in some ways hasn't evolved much past that in that we tend to ascribe the unknown to God. And when things happen and we don't know why, we go, God, why are these things happening? When illness happens close to us and we feel suffering, we just, we ascribe it to the mystery. I want to, I just want to say God is more present than that. He's not a distant God doing his own thing. Mankind is the central primary creation of God and, and on our life and our relationship with him is the most important thing to him. That was revolutionary. You could see how when Judaism came on the scene and put mankind at the center of God's creation instead of a nuisance or, or an afterthought, that changed everything for people. That's where we get these laws, these, these laws that make, uh, if mankind's made in the image of God, murders off the table. Do you see how what we believe about God shapes everything we do and think as a person and as a society? This misunderstanding of this mythical God, of the God of the vending machine God or the Santa Claus God, the, the thing that I think we struggle with that we're not too far from even today is that we tend to believe that if we do the right things, God will bless us with the good things. 
If we go to the vending machine and we insert the right currency, he will dispense the good things that we want. If I am a moral person and I'm just a good person, God will give me heaven. If I am kind, then God will give me prosperity. Or if I work hard, God will give me success. And we think that as long as we bring these things, that God will do these things. And, and in a way, it's us holding God to some type of contract and saying, I'm doing my part, God. Are you doing your part? And then in the Christian world, we say, if I attend church regularly, then God will be pleased with me. If I give and sacrifice, then I'm going to take this Bible passage and say, because I gave, God's going to multiply my finances. Do you see how we, we're not too and we act like God somehow broke his contract to us when we think of God as a vending machine God. And what's really at war here is two things. Jesus talks about them as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. And I would say we would say it differently today, the priorities God, of God or the priorities of the world or the economy of God and the economy of the world. These things are at war because if you take the things of the priorities of the world or the economy of the world and you approach a vending machine with the wrong currency, you're not going to get what you think you're going to get, you want to get. It's not going to dispense the thing you're asking for because you're approaching it with the wrong currency, right? And so if we have this expectation of, of God and, and life in general, uh, where we're using the kingdom of, of the world's currency, we're, we're approaching God trying to buy something that he's not selling. And we will forever feel disenchanted. But what is the kingdom of God? And I think the best explanation of this contrast that I've ever read, and I want to say that I've ever studied, because when I first read this, it didn't hit me. When I studied it, it did. There's a difference. Can you attest to that? There's a difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible, right? When we study the Bible, we start to see the meaning behind things. When we read the Bible, we maybe get short-term inspiration and some truth. But when you study the Bible, you start to see things that are, that are truer than true, that are profound. And this is the Beatitudes, the Jesus teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but just to highlight what we tend to think these things are and what Jesus is actually saying. When he's contrasting the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God or the priorities of God versus the priorities of the world. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the lens of the economy of the world, we would read that to say, blessed are the poor in spirit because eventually they won't be poor in spirit anymore because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And that's the way we want to read that. Like there's a bad thing that you're feeling. You're going to be blessed because you're not going to feel the bad thing. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We could read that and say, you know, because you're not going to be mourning anymore. Verse five, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek because one day they're going to be in power and they're not going to have to be meek anymore. But when you read this through the lens of God and the economy, the priorities of Jesus, where he cares, God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. He cares more about your eternal state than your temporary state. We read this differently where we say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for in their poverty, they will see the kingdom of God. And if you've ever been comforted while you're suffering, you know exactly what I mean. The suffering doesn't end. 
but you have comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. If in your blessing, in your, in your attitudes with these things, if you are approaching these things looking for the payoff, you're missing the blessing. Because the blessing is in the meekness. The blessing is in living out the character of meekness in your life. That is the blessing. It's not because you won't have to do that for very long. And if you're seeking a payout from God, you're missing the blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The blessing isn't in the filling. The blessing is in the hunger. We don't need more people in the world that are more righteous. We need more people in the world that hunger for righteousness. That's what the church needs. And that's what I was praying with a pastor friend of mine this week, and we prayed for hunger. We prayed for a hunger and thirst for righteousness in the valley, the Willamette Valley. Then we'll see the world transformed. Then we'll see some of heaven come to earth. Come to earth. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Notice how it says, blessed are the peacemakers, because it doesn't say, for they will receive peace. The blessing in being a peacemaker, one that forgives, one that seeks to reconcile, one that steps into conflict to bring peace. The blessing is that you're bringing the kingdom of God to darkness. You're bringing light to darkness. The blessing is in the peacemaking. This, these are the types of things that we struggle with in our walk every day. I would say we put on these mythical gods every day as we're navigating through life and growing and being sanctified. All of us, me too, all of us. But I also think that these are some misconceptions that people who aren't Christians have of God. And they think that we are here on a Sunday worshiping a vending machine God. And I think slot machine might be the more appropriate <laughs> phrase, right? Like, they think that we're here putting magical coins of obedience and, and music and sacrifice. And, and some people say church attendance is my sacrifice. Uh, and hope that they get the payout. Now, this understanding of God, if we take this inside the church, can get toxic, and it can cause destruction. And there are whole movements and denominations around this idea of God that, that says, in this world, I have desires in my heart, and they are success and health and joy and fun and, and just prosperity in this world. And then I meet Jesus, and the desires of my heart are still for success and prosperity in this world. And so I can use Jesus and my spirituality to achieve. And if I have faith enough and believe enough and sacrifice enough and give enough, then I will get the things that my heart desired before I met Jesus. The whole point of coming to Jesus and repenting of your worldly desires, justice and righteousness and purity, 
those are the things that you're longing for and striving for. And this, and this, is a, this isn't immediate. It's a process of, of being transformed and sanctified into a new passion, a new desire, a new hunger in life that isn't rooted in the things of the world. So any religion that tells you, any preacher that tells you, any church that tells you, any book that tells you, any worship song that tells you that if you believe enough, have faith enough, God will reward you with the things of the earth is heresy and it's toxic and we need to run away from it and speak against it. This prosperity gospel is destructive because what happens is when you realize that you're, you, I'm putting in all these things and I'm trying to have enough faith and if I'm sick and have a terminal illness, it's because I don't have enough faith. If I'm in poverty, it's because I'm not giving enough. I, because I've seen the destruction in people's life. Because their formula, their conception of God isn't working, they walk away from God altogether and it kills me. It breaks my heart. And I have to unpack and try to navigate and walk through this. Your conception of God is wrong. But this Bible verse says this, and this Bible verse says this, and this Greek translation of the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and the, stop it. There is no kingdom of God that promises you the kingdom of the world as your ultimate payout. That's nowhere in the Bible. We have to let our conceptions of God mature and realize that we are living for a kingdom greater than the kingdom of the earth. That our short-term comforts and passions aren't what drive us. God gives us gifts. Don't get me wrong. God is the provider of our gifts, but never as a reward for our worldly currency. He says that all of our gifts that we could bring don't even measure up to anything of worth. So our only, only option is to receive the gifts of abundance with a grateful heart. Trust in him and his timing and his faithfulness. Then we will see the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I like this. This is like uh, Paul is, is, you know, the metaphor that I use of, of bowling and you have the gutter bumpers, right? We're not going to go to this extreme. We're not going to go to that extreme. God is a God of blessing. God does care about your needs. God is here to answer your prayers. God is here to take care of you and provide for you. He is the provider. He is the one that gives, and he is the one that serves. But just realize that he has an agenda far beyond this world in our life, agenda beyond what our three-pound brains can understand. I wouldn't want to serve a God that can fit in my tiny brain. And so he is all of that. And with an eternal agenda, eternal purposes, and a sanctification of our life that is way beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. I think only in a mature brain can we put those things together. When he says, don't be deceived, what a man reaps, so he's putting in that bumper that says, the truth is, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's just, if you don't, that's just math. Like, that's not God exacting revenge on you. The truth is, if you give yourself over to addiction, you're going to be addicted. Don't be deceived. What, there are consequences for the choices that we make. Yet there is always 
God's presence and the opportunity for redemption and restoration and healing and hope in the midst of it. There is always a path to righteousness and purity. That's what the blood of the cross did for us. And what I want to invite us to is this conception of God where he is our provider. He is the one that we direct our gratitude to. He is the one that we are grateful for. He is the one that we worship. But at the end, where we land our heart in peace is in verse 9 of Galatians 6. Let us not become weary in doing good because we may find ourselves doing the right thing, forgiving the unforgivable, acting in love towards our neighbors that aren't acting in love towards us, sacrificing and serving for some type of, of kingdom effort, serving in the church, giving to the church, and we, it may be a but let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. Now, whose definition of proper are we depending on? God's definition of proper. It's when we impose our definition of proper, we start to bring the kingdom of the world in. And we start saying, God, I'm doing all these things. The proper time is now. We trust God that the proper time is in his hands. The proper time. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest. What is the harvest? It's the kingdom of God harvest. It's not our own worldly harvest. And if our hearts are transformed by the love of Jesus, we long for the things of heaven. We long for peace. We long for righteousness. We long for... Uh, all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We long for all these things in our lives and in the world around us. And when we pray to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the agents of bringing light to darkness. We are part of God's plan no, we are God's plan A for bringing light into darkness. And he doesn't tell us what plan B is, but plan A is we, his church, his people, in the world around us where there is darkness, we bring light. And we start to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven in the world around us. People are transformed by that light. When people expect to be rejected and we give them forgiveness, whoo, We've just changed the world. When people expect to be ignored because they're different or they smell bad or something and we treat them with kindness and love and acceptance, we've changed the world. We've exposed the light of Jesus into darkness. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the longing and the prayer of the converted Christian. And if your longing is for anything other than that, you're in sanctification mode. You're growing. This is the direction you're growing towards. And we're all at different stages and phases in different areas of our life where we are putting on the priority of God and stripping away the priorities of the world. And so because we're all in different stages and phases and different areas, Paul is very clear in this text in the rest of chapter 6 that we need to be gracious with each other, forgiving, seeking ways for peace because we're all in different stages and phases. And as we do this, we'll be empowered and equipped to see our path forward if we trust in him and in his timing. And as we do that, let's not grow weary in doing good because his timing is perfect. God is good. He's an abundant God who seeks to bless us. But he's not a slot machine.
He's not a vending machine. He's not Santa Claus. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to close in prayer. And Toby's going to lead us in communion. And uh, there's a linchpin in this whole wrestling that we have. And, and each one of us will have this many times in our lives in different areas as we're growing. And there's a, there's a passage where Jesus is struggling with this very war of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the earth. And he's facing the knowledge that he is going to be crucified. And he says something, something a few different ways that we all have to come to in our areas where we're hoping that God will deliver us. Because as we are hoping that God will deliver us, we will always be tempted to, to grab a tool of the kingdom of the world to overcome something instead of trusting in God. We'll try to shortcut something and, or cheat something or fudge something. Jesus says, let this cup pass from my lips if at all possible. And when we are overcoming those things in our life, that's that linchpin. When we're struggling with being patient and waiting, be honest and say, this is hard, God. I need you here. I don't want to do this. But then he says this, not my will, but thy will be done. That's where we, that's the beatitude that, that when we put aside our, our hope and trust in the things of the world and our own strength and we trust in God and his strength and his timing, we say thy will be done. That's where we experience the kingdom of heaven. That's where our hope lies. And we can borrow that hope from the future, trusting in God and the promises to bring us peace and courage today. And that's what faith is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us to not shy away from these, these things of God, that we wouldn't be deceived by the, the pull of the world to draw us in, that we would be able to put our trust and faith and hope in you today. God, you have put areas in each of our lives that, are, that we're struggling with that's different. Each one of us is, has a different, a different cross that we're facing, a different area that we're struggling with, a different thing we're desperately crying out to you for your, your provision. I pray that we would see the beauty in the struggle. We would extract your hope and your peace in the midst of our confusion and struggle. And we'd be comforted by your promises that in your time, in your way, in your place, you will deliver us. You're a good God and a gracious God. And I thank you for this clarity that you're giving us that we can go into our week knowing that you are with us and you are for us and that we can overcome these things in Jesus' name.